like to welcome to the show Ilya Stamkowski, and we'd like to congratulate him on his new uh, son. Welcome to the world. Thank you. We're happy to have you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Congratulations, you. Ilya. Congratulations. Thanks a lot. Thanks, now, guys. I- Ilya is not only a father, he's an amazing drummer. He is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a writer for Modern Drummer mag- Magazine, and he is... Um, one of the more entertaining people you will ever meet. <laughs> he plays with the As, Eddie, Eddie Testa band. He also plays with a bunch of other people, freelancer, but very, very gifted drummer. And Duke is his agent. I'll, thank you, guys. Uh, as, as Ilya's agent now, I'll say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that, guys. I appreciate that. Appreciate the kind words. Sure, absolutely. So I, I have a question for you. You've seen so many shows. What would you see? What would you say as a drummer, first, and as a non-drummer, second? What would be your first as a drummer and your first as a non-drummer? And you mean uh, just just concerts I've been to my whole entire life? Yes. Oh wow, this is I was not prepared for this question. I would have racked my brain. You know, uh, um, I've seen a lot of different types of g- genres, if you will, and so. I have to separate it into like rock music and into non-rock music. And so, I mean, we all have our favorite drummers and, uh, you know, I've seen so many of my favorite guys and missed so many guys, but um, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to go into jazz uh, uh, I've, I've seen, you know, so many incredible guys, the Bill Stewart's and the Brian blades with different, different artists. And uh, uh, one of my very favorite ones was uh, John Zorn's Masada which has one of my very favorite players in it. His name is Joey Barron. And so uh, I saw I saw that group, I, I guess, in the mid-90s when I was a wee lad. Um, and they would set up at the, at the knitting factory, but they wouldn't set up on the stage. They would set up against the wall and the audience would be kind of in an amphitheater around them. Wow. Um, and I, I would get there super early, like a, like a, like a super fan boy. And I would literally sit to the side of the drums. It would be five feet away. And I'd really never seen anything like that. I mean, I, I guess you can go on YouTube and see John Zorn's Masada, and they played a lot more after that, bigger festivals and things like that. But in the mid-90s, when they kind of started, um, there's not a ton of video from, from what I saw, but uh, it was unbelievable. You know, the, the, the command uh, that he had playing with his fingers, playing with brushes, playing with mallets, swinging his butt off and... Uh, that was a very special group. And that was Joey at the top of his game. He, he might know him from Bill Frizzell's band and he's incredible in Bill Frizzell's late eighties, early nineties band. So that's from a jazz standpoint. If, you know, if I had to pick, I would, I would say uh, John Zorn's Masada. And like I said, all these other guys, the Bill Stewart's and the Brian blades and all Vinnie Caliutas, all these guys I've seen um, from a rock standpoint, that's <laughs> really, really hard, you know, but some memorable stuff I, I I've seen is uh I saw King Crimson in the mid nineties at the, at the long acre theater on Broadway when they had the double trio. So I saw that band, they actually released that um, from the long acre theater in 95, I guess. So I saw that, that group. I mean, I've seen uh, some of my very favorite bands, like a, a band called Jawbox uh, in the mid nineties, uh, kind of like a angular uh, Fugazi style uh, a band from 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 the DC area, and uh, that's one of my favorite rock drummers. That's not a household name. His name is Zach Barocas, and uh, Jawbox was one of my very main influential bands in the mid '90s. So 
they were really special every time I saw them in, you know, smaller clubs, Trocadero, Maxwell's, things like that. So if I had to say kind of under the radar, John's Orange Masada for jazz and uh, Jawbox with Zach Barocas uh, for, for rock music. Wow, that's fantastic. I, I don't know them, so I'm going to check them out. That's very cool. Ilya, you know, I was so oh, thrilled. Yeah, you go down the rabbit hole with those guys. <laughs> I was so thrilled when Duke told me you were going to come on because Modern Drummer really is one of my favorite um, publications and you write for them. I wanted to ask you from a journalistic point of view, uh, how, is things, how have things changed from maybe the way you did it 10 years ago where people were buying the magazine and now everything's online and we have all this information overload and things are on YouTube and, and, uh, and social media and so forth. Tell, what is it like today to be working for Modern Drummer and, and really be at the forefront? But how do you get that message out there, all the great content where we used to get the magazine? And I assume that the magazine is not really, or tell me if it's not, I would assume the magazine is not really the, the driving force anymore behind that whole effort. You know, the magazine is still obviously around and still in print, but as all the bigger magazines and that one, you know, you would think Modern Drummer had a huge distribution, but it obviously doesn't have the distribution of, say, a Rolling Stone or, you know, or the New York Times or something like that. But print is is still key for these magazines because they can't just shut down uh, the physical, uh, you know, version of it and go completely online. Some places can do that. Uh, but, you know, um, the thing about about it is they still have to rely on on advertising and they have to rely on subscriptions. It's a combination of all those things. And so things are certainly changing uh, in terms of of how people get that magazine. And sometimes, you know, you can't even find certain things at Barnes and Noble and then a pandemic hits and it, it, it uh, disrupts the supply chains and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I've been writing for the magazine for uh, I guess 15 years now. And the one thing that has certainly changed is I used to meet a lot of people in person. Uh, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to interview certain people where I'd uh, be invited on their tour bus, like uh, Carter Beaufort from, from uh, Dave Matthews Band. I remember doing the interview on his tour bus and, uh, uh, you know, certain other people I was fortunate to meet, maybe not uh, uh, huge, huge names, but smaller guys where I would still meet them in person in their um, in their you know, apartment or their house uh, physically and with the tape recorder right there, having an exchange um, where, where we were doing it, you know, in real time uh, over the years, especially when it's a West coast guy, or, you know, I had the privilege of, of talking to people like, uh, you know, Dave Weckl, people like that. And all of that was always done through the phone. But the great thing is the technology, just like what we're doing now, you know, with zoom and FaceTime, you can still kind of do, uh, a face-to-face, even though you're not in, in their presence. Uh, I, I did a, a cover story on Simon Phillips recently, and Simon insisted on FaceTime. I never, I never say that that's my preference because I don't know if they want to be seen. They could be in their pajamas. You know, a lot of these people have their um, image to uphold, but Simon wanted to do it on FaceTime. So instead of just the audio version, we did a FaceTime version. And that's not the version that you know, obviously was released. It's not a, it's not a thing that Modern Drummer does uh, except for their podcasts and, and, you know, their video interviews, but he wanted to do it. He wanted to see my face and that was pretty cool. He's an old school guy, you know, and uh, he wanted to do it that way. So that's, that's the major difference in terms of the way uh, uh, the interviews are done, but still, uh, you know, it's the same thing that it's always been where uh, you're asking them questions and, 
if they're open and, and, and giving, then it doesn't matter if it's on audio or video or in person. I was lucky enough to interview Neil Peart uh, during their Rush, Rush, um, uh, the Rush's 40th uh, uh, anniversary, their last tour, which turned out to be unfortunately his last tour. And he invited me, you know, the, the, the band invited me uh, backstage before the show. And so I got to do that in person as well. And that's, you know, uh, uh, an unbelievable thing to have done because I could have done it over the phone and it would have been great, but it wouldn't have been the same. So I prefer in person, but, you know, it's not always to be, especially with, te with the technology, the way it is. With all the people you've interviewed, I'm sure your interviewing skills have improved. Did you ever... I don't know about that. <laughs> did you ever find yourself in a situation where you were interviewing somebody and you realized that you for forgot you were interviewing them and you ended up just just bullshitting? Um, yeah, you try not to do that. You know, you try to always be aware of, of a few different things when you're talking to famous people. And, and they don't have to be famous in a shop right but they're famous amongst us and they mm -hmm. would get recognized, many of them. I mean, I've done, you know, Joey Kramer from Aerosmith and people who might be recognized in New Jersey somewhere. Maybe not, but you never know. We would certainly recognize them. Um, and you try not to fanboy out. A lot of people told me, uh, they asked me if I got a picture with Neil when I was with him and I would never do that. You know, right. I, I couldn't ask him for that. Um, and so you, you try to always remember a, a few things, like I said, one of which is this isn't their first interview and probably not their first interview they're doing uh, with a drumming magazine. So there's many drumming magazines and sometimes these guys grant interviews to all of them or a couple of them. And so they're used to being spoken to about the same subjects. So if you think you're coming up with such a great uh, question about, um, you know, some beat on some song uh, and you're thinking, well, nobody heard that beat except me and I'm going to ask him what his stroking was. Well, maybe someone asked them that 10 minutes ago or yesterday. So you never want to just get too friendly with them unless they go that way, you know, and you kind of got to give and give and take with, with uh, some of these guys. I was fortunate enough to speak with Alex Van Halen and uh, they're, they're splitting up that interview uh, with a legends book. The modern drummer is doing this legends thing where uh, they're combining all their past interviews together and then giving a new interview uh and that's half of mine will be in that and then the other one is uh going going to come out uh, i don't know next issue or the issue after that where uh the other half of my interview uh um, is going to be in the print regular magazine modern drummer regular print issue and you know uh, it's hard to explain but alex van halen wasn't going to talk about his uh you know uh his uh, muffling technique on his toms in the 1984 tour. Like he certainly wasn't going to talk about any of that. And it was my duty per my editors to kind of speak to him about certain songs. And through his tech and handlers, we found out that he wanted to talk about some of his older songs, kind of a retrospective look back. Um, so I went there. I asked him about Hot for Teacher because, you know, I, I'm always thinking there's a 17 year old that doesn't know what we know. He's not mm -hmm. our age. And so a 17 year old doesn't know what Alex said about a hot for teacher, uh, you know, 35 years ago. So I did go there and he was cool about it and he wanted to talk about it. But then Alex, someone like him, who is just like a, you know, explosive kind of funny and, and 
you never know what you're going to get. And so he went in all these different places. He started talking to me about David Lee Roth and about his brother and about all this stuff completely un, mm-hmm. un, uh, provoked and un, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but I didn't nudge him in that direction. He just started talking about it as if he was answering a question from some other you know, journalist who is trying to dig about the inner dynamics of the band. And I really wasn't. I really didn't care. I would have loved to talk to him about his muffling and tuning on his snare and how he gets his sound and all that stuff. So he was a guy that was just kind of like on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't chummy. And and look, his brother died a week later and and I I I had no I had no semblance that anything was wrong. So I really think there was a precipitous drop in his brother's health. It had to be right after we spoke because it was literally a week later and he wouldn't have given me the time if he was going to the hospital or or whatever it was so he was in a great mood and uh, he was cool and he wanted to speak to me again the next day and that was completely him you know yeah we spoke on a saturday and then he wanted to speak the next day so you know but he wasn't my buddy you know what i mean he's a famous rock star and and i just had a good Uh, you know, repartee with him, but I I don't really fan out too much, you know? Ilya, I want to ask you, um, and I guess I'm going to, this is about you because you're our guest, but I, this is the only way I can really ask you this question. The name, the gentleman's name forgets, uh, it escapes my memory. Who was the long-term lead singer for yes? John Anderson. Anderson. Okay. So, so Ilya, here's the deal. I have done some journalistic work in my career as well. And at the time I was working for a publication, um, which I think was in Los Angeles, Uh, called live to play i forgot what they were called before that so the editor called me and said i want you to go interview john anderson and at the time i didn't go meet him but i interviewed him on the phone And at the time i was really not i'm still not really a a big yes fan i respect them to death but i was not a fan and i'm coming to a question so what happened was i got him on the phone talking to him very nice guy and i could tell from talking with him because i didn't really know what to ask him that he hadn't been asked ten thousand times before and I've never been one of these people to ask Derek Jeter, like, you know, you hit four home runs tonight. How do you feel? What's he going to say? I feel terrible. So as I'm talking to him, I keep, I keep hearing these interruptions. And I remember saying to him, I said, is this a bad time to talk? He goes, no, it's a very busy day. He said, is it, he, I said, well, if you want me to reschedule it, I said, we could do it. He goes, no, as a matter of fact, I just passed my citizenship test. So he's, he was at the time a dual citizen, I believe, of um, England and the United States. So he had passed his United States citizenship test. So as we're talking, I don't know what made me think of this, but I didn't feel like I was really getting anything earth shattering. So I said to him, I said, do you really want to talk about this? And he said, no, he goes, I'll talk about it if you want to. I said, well, what would you like to talk about? He goes, I'm really proud of my citizenship. And he went on for 20 minutes and spoke about it. So (laughs) my question to you is, have you in your, in the, in the number of interviews you've done, has someone come out with something where it really was out of left field or you, you never thought like this person would tell me this and it was something very, very unique that you, not, not like a scoop, but you're just like, wow, I did not know that you thought that, or that was even going on in your life or you'd be that type of person. Yeah. Once in a while you'll, you'll get something that is a little bit left field and it's always, uh, you know, non-musical and, and sometimes it, it, the motivation might be just commercial like Joey Kramer from, uh, Aerosmith. He started talking about his coffee rocking and roasting, you know, and he just wanted to push that. And so he kind of led things that way because he certainly wasn't going to talk about coming up with the, the beat for walk this way. You know what I mean? Not 40 years into the career. 
Um, uh, and Alex Van Halen was very candid. You know, he was he, he was talking about uh, David Lee Roth. He's like, uh, you know, uh, he was saying 90 percent of what David Lee Roth gives you is garbage. But that 10 percent is genius. And I didn't ask him about David Lee Roth. He just started talking about it, you know, and I'm thinking these are the kind of guys who are so deep into their relationship and and have had so many things going on that they don't care. You know what I mean? It's kind of like sniping in the press. You'll hear people talking about each other. But I'm thinking, I mean, is David Lee Roth really going to read Modern Drummer? Maybe. But maybe. Alex Van Halen didn't. Yeah, maybe. But Alex Van Halen didn't care. You know, so he was just giving me all this stuff about the dynamics of the band and talking about all of them being in the bus. He said something like they were all in a bus through 1984. And I'm thinking, wow, I, I figured they were a little bit bigger before that, but maybe not. It's kind of the stuff that you don't really realize. So he was very candid about about, you know, his relationship with his brother and relationship with his bandmates. And uh, he he went into the stuff about why Sammy wasn't around, you know. So. So, yeah, once in a while unprovoked somebody will go into something but i've done so many of them and i'm trying to think of something else that was just kind of like scoop like i can't really think of of anything because i you know the thing about like a rolling stone interview is you can talk about their extra musical things what they're doing a lot of those rolling stones or uh interviews are like i meet uh you know britney spears at, at, at a hotel and this is what she's wearing you know they all go that direction with modern drummer it's kind of like you know, we're going to talk about your new album. We're going to talk about it, recording it and pre-production and, you know, how you're going to play these songs live on stage. It's so very specific. There's mm -hmm. not a lot of that kind of uh, extra musical stuff that's that's mm -hmm. spoken about. So it's rare. It's a little bit more rare than maybe a general a ma music magazine interview. So before we started rolling, we were talking about how COVID has affected our musical scene. And I know you used to play a ton I know you have not played, you know, if you were to go back to the scene, what would be your ideal now that you're a, a new dad again, what would be your ideal circumstance? I mean, ideal. Well, you know, I, I play with Eddie who never said no to a gig. And so uh, he, he loves to play and, and that's infectious. And the people who come to see the band, uh, they kind of expect a certain level of energy and we don't stop between songs. It's a lot of like cymbal wash between the first eight songs. And I'm reaching over to, to drink something and I can't because he's going into another song. And so, uh, you know, I, I always joke with him that I, I like to get up in between songs and do a fill that and do a, a flam on the snare and end the song. And you can't keep going when a drummer does that, you know? So sometimes I'll do that just to give myself a break. Cause it's a hard, it's a hard hitting gig. It's really intense, you know, Detroit medley into a Motown medley on 11. And, I'm sorry uh, to interrupt. I just want to, I want to express to Ken and the viewers, Ilya plays for three hours without stopping. When he plays, it's nonstop the entire night. Mm -hmm. Seen it myself. Yeah. yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. Well, I mean, and, and that's the that's the real uh, that's the real challenge is that uh, you know before the pandemic, um, we could do a two hour set without stopping, a three hour set without stopping. Even though I get annoyed at that because you know I'm in pain after after uh, it's like the end of the night is Rosalita and the Detroit medley. It's not like we're playing peaceful, easy feeling up there. But um, the, the, the thing that I'm getting, the thing that I'm getting now is that 
people can't dance. You know, we've played at Bar A and we've played at a, oh, right. a headliner and, and the, the security. Not only do they not allow you to dance, they won't allow you to stand up in your seat. And you guys have maybe seen some of this in, in mm -hmm. your recent gigs. And so the challenge is playing a gig of dance music, of R&B, soul mm -hmm. dance music with Bruce and Petty thrown in, which are grooving tunes. You know, Hungry Heart mm -hmm. and 10th Avenue Freeze Out, they're, they're made for people to dance. And so uh, what you're getting now is playing that kind of high energy show to people who aren't allowed to dance. And I don't care who you are. That's difficult to do. Yeah. And so my ideal would be, yes, to play a little less, maybe to play less shows, not three or four shows in a weekend, uh, not three or four shows within a five mile radius of Belmar or whatever, whatever we were doing. But also this kind of challenge is a band to uh, change it up, throw in a ballad here and there, uh, throw in something with with not really a, an aggressive uh, dance vibe because people need a break. Sometimes people need a break to go to the bar or to go to the bathroom. You don't have to keep them dancing for three hours. Now, this is wishful thinking on my end because I don't know if when things open up, if Eddie's gonna wanna do that. But that's really my ideal is just to change it up. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I know we're all drummers and we're all attuned with rhythms and feels and things like that. And I always hate it when we're, we just did a shuffle and now we're gonna do another shuffle and now we're going to do a third shuffle because people are calling tunes and they're not thinking about that stuff. I'm thinking about that. I'd like mm -hmm. to play the 16 note groove, like, you know, whatever, like peace of my heart or whatever it could be. And then I want to play an up-tempo tune after that. And then I want to play a shuffle and then I want to play a ballad because that's the way I'd like to hear it. So maybe we could do a little more of that, but I don't know. It's all out the window as soon as people can rush the stage and the packed house. And, <laughs> you know, uh, Eddie, Eddie respects me, but, uh, he uses he uses his musicians as the tools for the high energy thing that he puts forth, and I love it. Who am I kidding? You know? and he's a sweetheart. You know, Eddie is a sweetheart. He really, yeah, is. such a he, great, such a great guy, and such a talented guy. Yeah, you know, there's a funny story that that recently um, came out that I read that when Billy, I think Billy Joel, there's a, a banner in Madison Square Garden. I think it's '89 uh, record sold out shows, and someone had told me that they saw him at one of the shows and he had announced he was going to play some song that was like track number nine. I forgot the name of the album and he announced the audience. I'm going to play something that no one has ever, the people I rarely play, but I just like playing it. This is the time to go to the bathroom, go get a hot dog. I won't ah. be offended. And he starts playing it. And my friend said, literally everyone gets up and leaves because no one knows the song and they come back. He's playing piano, man. So I guess we all get that. But let me ask you being on the scene and talking to people in the know We've gotten the sense that you talk to some of the national performers and this is what they do. Like the, the people that play for the national touring acts and you go down to talk to some of the Nashville guys and for whatever reason in that genre, uh, Ilya, it's, you know, some of those guys are just touring drummers. They don't, they don't record. They're not session guys. What are you hearing about when this will come back or planning tours on the large level? Because I was very interested to see I think it was a couple of months ago, you might remember Bruce Springsteen came out. And when you said that, that reminded me, he came out and said, I don't see my band touring till 2022 and I only have so much time. So I'm not happy to say that. What is the general feeling you're getting of when are these guys going to finally guys and girls get back to work? I, I The feeling I get is I'm not going to use the word dread, but I think people are very concerned. People are very concerned because it's one thing to play bar, right? And people are sitting down and 
you know, you've got a, a, a local act that can draw a couple of people. But when we're talking stadiums and arenas and amphitheaters and even the Count Basie, I know they're doing this thing with the Vogel where it's tables, but uh, it's a liability for for the artist and for the venue, for the promoters. Uh, you know, COVID is, is weird because it's sometimes it's asymptomatic. Uh, you don't know when you got it. If you go to an amphitheater and you caught COVID two days after that show, but you say you got it at the amphitheater and now now you're suing sticks and you're suing PNC and you're suing Live Nation. Um, they can't afford that. So I wish I had an answer. But the people that I speak to and these, some of these touring guys like you guys have spoken to Todd Zuckerman, these kind of guys who rely on a, a, a name act that does amphitheaters. Uh, mm -hmm. nobody's buying the new sticks record. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, nobody's buying the new, whatever record. I mean, who, who knows? I guess letter to you Springsteen, I guess it's sold, but who knows, you know, it's hard. It's not like it used to be. Um, it's not, you know, it used to be the, the, the records, uh, the, the, the touring would promote the record. You'd, you'd see a band live and then you'd go buy the record. Now, uh, um, now there is, you know, there's streaming and all that stuff. So people have to tour as mm -hmm. opposed to getting off the road like a lot of bands did. You know, your your Beatles and your XTCs and your Steely Dans, they, they just stopped touring because they could just record and sell records. It's not like that for people like, you know, Todd Zuckerman, who relies on sticks playing the amphitheaters. Um, and they don't know, and they're nervous. And, and I'd be nervous too, because, uh, you know, how are you gonna convince people to go out? And how are you gonna convince them from not being litigious about, um, about uh you know the venue and and and, and the band itself it's definitely a, I, I think it's a scary time and also a scary time for some of these bands that are not spring chickens you know bruce is what 71 or whatever he is and some of mm -hmm. these bands are are really up there and uh who knows how much time they have you know they're not young and springsteen's show and his vocals and you know i, I can't imagine him doing that into his late 70s so we're we're missing out on a lot of time and some of these bands frankly won't come back you know just to start up the machine and to pay all the people and to pay all the people employed by a band i'm i'm not really sure it's going to be very interesting yes. i'm thinking by maybe next summer when you maybe will have to produce a, a, a negative covid result or to say that you got vaccinated but not to be a downer they're saying even if you got the vaccine you can still get covid and you can still pass it along. It's just that you might not get as sick. Maybe you won't be put on a ventilator. But if I now, if I got the vaccine, got now hold on. I just want to be clear. When you said next summer, are you talking summer twenty one or summer twenty two? I'm thinking not not before twenty two. I'm really not. Okay. Okay. Duke, how because, about I mean, that? There about, you go. Think about this. Think about this. It's it's basically March, right? I mean, is there going to be a Stone Pony Summer Stage series this year? I mean, you got to sell tickets. You got to announce those shows. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't see it happening. Not 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 this not this year. Yeah, I Sorry think you're be, right. I think you're right. You know. Now, Duke, I want to just do a follow up because I know Ilya's the perfect person to ask. Let's talk about, particularly in your line of journalism, how is this affecting? It might be somewhat obvious to you, but. Explain to us and the viewers, how is this also affecting the vendors? I mean, Modern Drummer is, is also a lot about equipment, right? 
Well, yeah, it's affecting the vendors, but it's also affecting, you know, just the subject of the stories, too. It's like, what are you going to talk to a guy about? I was supposed to actually interview Tommy Lee, and it, it, it fell apart because he was putting out a record that had no live drums on it. It had all programming. And there was not that tour that they were going to do. It was what? It was uh, Motley Crue, uh, mm -hmm. Poison, and Def Leppard, right? Right, was that, right. Was that tour? Big, big stadium tour um and i couldn't talk to him about anything you wow. know what i mean so um <laughs> simon phillips you know these people that i've done recently simon phillips and, and and alex van halen also not touring alex van halen hasn't toured in five years you know i could talk to him about wow. drop dead legs but uh so the, the the lack of touring is one thing uh you would think that a lot of these people are recording and so Maybe you can talk to them about that, but a lot of them are keeping that secret or mm -hmm. not announcing that they have a new record out. So yeah, it's affecting a lot of different things. Wow. And, and like you said, the vendors and equipment companies, I mean, that's a whole other issue is like, who's going in to buy real drums when some people are buying, um, you know, electronic equipment and DJs are so hot and all that stuff. That's all cyclical. People will always buy drums and guitars and get into the Beatles. I mean, I don't think that's ever going away, but there are, you know, crests and troughs with that. And uh, that certainly is affecting uh, uh, a manufacturer because what you, how are you going to sell drums when no one needs drums for live touring right now? I, mm. I, I think very much drum head companies must be dying because nobody's touring. So right. how, how many people are going through drum heads? You know, you're not, mm, good point. I don't care if you're good practicing, point. you know, eight hours a day, you're still not, you don't practice with the intensity you do when you're doing a, a live show, you know, it just doesn't happen. So that's exactly it. Right. No, it's I, that I'm not surprised though. I, I'm not surprised Duke. It's uh, it's, it's, it's a weird time, you know, it's a weird time. Yeah. It's certainly uh, is a, is, is strange for all the different facets of, of touring. You know, you've got all the, the, the people behind the scenes or Broadway, the people who make the uh, costumes, everyone's affected. Right. You know, and so it's tough. They can't, you can't just sit back and collect. I mean, Rihanna and Beyonce can, but not the real working bands, you know? Right. Right. You know, I know we talked about Van Halen a lot, uh, but I always thought that that was one of the coolest things that they each shared full authorship of the songs. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple bands like that, like U2, uh, you know. Uh, oh, I didn't uh, know they did that. That's yeah, why. That's why Larry Mullen, I, Larry Mullen Jr. Is, that's why Larry Mullen. He's like nice the house. third. He's the third richest drummer in the world. Well, third that's or why, second. because when, you know, when when Octoon Baby sold its records and one was on the radio and, you know, going back to With or Without You or whatever, he's 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 in the mix there. That's so awesome. and and as opposed to somebody like, I mean, if you think about like, uh, if you look up like John Deacon, the bassist for Queen, who mm -hmm. after Freddie died, he, he completely dropped off. He does not involved in any Queen anything for right. thirty years, right? right? But he wrote "You're My Best Friend" and another one bites the dust, and you know, under pressure is his baseline, all that stuff. So there's a lot of different writers in a band like that. So when you look him up, he's worth whatever sixty. 80 100 million dollars because he had big hits but yeah. larry mullen jr didn't didn't write where the streets have no name you know what i mean i mean we can get into a discussion whether trump parts should be 
part of publishing and are they, you know, I actually asked Joey Kramer, I said, what's more famous, the drum part in, you know, the beat and walk this way or the guitar part. And he's like, come on, man. You know, and it was a cool little, it was a cool little moment. Obviously that's such a integral part of that song, but let's face it with or without you. And, you know, uh, uh, those songs he didn't write, but he's doing very well because they split it four ways. And maybe that's why they survived, mm -hmm. you know, Rush survived because those guys are friends and such creative geniuses. And I'm sure Neil's got some money because he wrote those lyrics, uh, had, had some money. But uh, um, uh, yeah, you know, maybe. Well, maybe look at all the, the look at all the well, Ilya, look at all the problems Kiss had with that stuff. So, yeah, you're right. It does tend to cause problems. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I, I, I interviewed just... uh, Eric Singer from from Kiss and. He's, you know, not the original guy, obviously, and has to put on, all, you know, all the, the the has to sing Beth and has to do all that stuff. But from speaking to him, there's two other guys in that band that that, that call the shots, you know, and I'm sure Bono and the Edge call the shots. But, you know, I'm sure Larry has his has his say and I'm sure Alex Van Halen has his say. The band's named after kind of him. And you know what's funny? I had heard if you play in the Duke Clement trio, you get no cut of anything. Is that true? <laughs> so listen, I, I, I can't thank you enough for your time, but I got one more for me. If anyone, alive or dead, in the history of this world and music, you could sit down and interview and ask them one question, who would it be? Uh, it doesn't. From the beginning of time till now, you could ask them one question, anything goes. Who would it be and what would you ask them? And what would I ask them? Wow. Wow. That is that is really hard. I don't know. I think of like the really fascinating people uh, throughout the years, you know, like the Brian Eno's and the Frank Zappa's and Neil Peart, you know, speaking to Neil Peart. I was like, this is the smartest guy I've ever been in the presence of. You know what I mean? This is just brilliant, brilliant people. I don't know. Maybe I would ask Frank Zappa something like uh, like, uh, you know, he was really good at predicting what was going to happen. He, he predicted you know, I, not predicted, but he, he was kind of in tune with what the Internet would have, you know, music distribution. There's some some things he, he said that made it sound like technology was really going to change music distribution and the way you got it. Same with Brian Eno. Brian Eno said some fascinating things about, uh, uh, you know, buying records was just a thing that happened and won't happen ever again. You know, this this time. Um, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I'd ask Frank, uh, uh, you know, what what he thought was going to happen uh and, and or maybe you know could i come back there with the knowledge of what i know and tell him what happened and just ask him what he thought you know here's the internet sure. here's spotify you know it'd be fascinating to it actually i think about this all the time not to make this a long-winded uh question but a lot of people uh i talk about this with buddies or whatever late night and they're like what would chopin think of you know uh green day or what would, you know, what would these kind of people who are geniuses, but had, you know, uh, they wrote for an orchestra, they wrote for piano or a string quartet. Um, what would they think about today's music, you know, pop music? Um, and I would love to go back in time and talk to Beethoven about, you know, uh, uh, you know, Frank Zappa or whatever, Queen. And uh, if you could get past the electronic, uh, uh, you know, explaining to them electric guitars and keyboards and synthesizers they would have to understand that quickly that that the technology made it so 
things could be, you know, reproduced and synthesized and sequenced and things like that. I think they would love today's music, you know, maybe, I don't know, but uh, I, I would love to ask, you know, these kind of classic guys, the, the Beethovens and the Chopins, uh, just to play them Bohemian Rhapsody and be like, this right, is right, what happens. Right. This, this is what happens with chord progressions and, you know, harmony. And it's like, in the end, it's all harmony and melody and rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. Slayer and Tori Amos, they're, they're pretty similar when you, when you, when you break it down, it's, you know, notes, and there's 12 notes and harmony and combining the notes. And what rhythm is it? Is it an odd time? Are we in seven? Are we in four? Are we, you know, whatever. And I think someone like Chopin would probably appreciate Queen, you know, I really do. Interesting. Uh, like, Very interesting. You know, yeah. I always wanted to ask Buddy Rich if he was at a Motorhead concert. And Lemmy said, you want to come up and play Ace of Spades? Are you going to do it or not? <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because someone like a, a Buddy Rich notoriously like wouldn't like rock and roll. You know, they they kind of put their they 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 thumb their nose kind of at, at rock and roll, which I always found disappointing because it's like I you know I don't I don't love certain types of music, but I can appreciate the craft that goes into those types of mm -hmm. musics. And so uh, it's always disappointing when you hear like a buddy rich didn't like the Beatles or whatever it was, you know? And I'm just like, really? But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Well, definitely appreciate you taking time to talk with us today. It's been great having you on. Um, I wish you nothing but health and happiness with the baby and tons more interviews. Cause we know if all the drummers are home. So that's start, right. Start calling. <laughs> It was my it was my pleasure to, to speak with you guys. I, I, I really appreciate what you guys do. And uh, it's it's needed in a time like this, you know, when people uh, can sh hear different voices and um, keep keep doing what you guys are doing. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for some time. It really was a great pleasure to talk to. You. I really mean that. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs>